Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. A few weeks back, I introduced you to Jan Spencer and promised that he'd soon be here on Spirit in Action, filling in as a guest host. And today's the day. To recap, Jan lives in Eugene, Oregon, and he's been creating a preferred future on the grounds of his one-quarter-acre suburban home. Today, he'll take the mic from me to fill in the map and start to equip you with the nuts and bolts of a better life for us and for the planet. Starting with his political autobiography, you'll find out how Jan got focused on permaculture and paradigm shift, leading up to his primer on transformation. The journey includes all kinds of education, adventures, insights, mentors, and fruitful products from his work toward a preferred future. We're over to you now, Jan Spencer. Thanks, Mark, for the opportunity to guest host Spirit in Action. And thanks to your directors and organization at Northern Spirit Radio. This is my first guest host on Northern Spirit Radio, so an introduction is in order. I am Jan Spencer and a 30-year resident of Eugene, Oregon. My interests are a convergence of care for the natural world, urban land use, permaculture, lifestyle, economics, personal and civic uplift, and paradigm shift. They all fit together. You can find more at suburbanpermaculture.org. For this first guest hosting, I'd like to share some political autobiography. What from the past has led to this permaculture transformation of my one-quarter acre suburban property, producing the program Creating a Preferred Future and a Primer on Paradigm Shift? Then we'll take a break And after the break, we'll take a closer look at the primer and property transformation. Okay, let's start. Eugene has been home for over 30 years. I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. My mom, dad, and two older brothers and myself moved to suburban Dallas, Texas when I was six. My dad was a professional chemical engineer my mom, a conscientious homemaker and survivor of caring for me and my two older brothers. Our neighborhood in Dallas was made up of hundreds of four-bedroom brick suburban homes. It was all white. Even at 11 years old, my parents let me ride my bike two miles to my distant elementary school. I loved bike riding from an early point in my life. In music class in the fifth grade, we had to learn Texas, our Texas, the state song, and you're from Big D. Here's a few lines. You're from Big D. And that spells Dallas, where every home's a palace, cause the settlers settle for no less. And then Texas, our Texas. 
O empire grand and glorious. God bless you, Texas, and keep you brave and strong, that you may grow in power and worth throughout the ages long. I didn't realize it, of course, at the time, but that was some pretty heavy social engineering. My mother devoted untold hours driving me and my brothers to our various functions. The closest place to buy a loaf of bread was over a mile away. At the time, we were on the edge of Dallas. My dad commuted to work about three miles to Texas Instruments. After seven years in Dallas, our family moved north to a rural subdivision on Lake Texoma near Denison, Texas. School was over a half an hour away. I wore nice clothes and for two years ran with the sports and student council crowd, and I played on the tennis team. In the 11th grade, thanks to my best friend's older brother, we started thinking about the environment and overpopulation. We even gave talks about recycling to some of our classes. We picked up aluminum cans simply because it was good for the environment, and we were into Bob Dylan. The summer between my 11th and 12th grades, I received an invite to be a junior counselor at a YMCA summer camp and needed to buy some camp clothes. My first visit to Goodwill was a game changer. I saw loads of perfectly good used t-shirts and jeans at very low cost. I decided, based on my emerging values, I wouldn't buy new clothes anymore. Another formative occasion in that summer of 1969 was the Texas International Pop Music Festival. There were lots of flower power young people. Pot was everywhere. There were women with no bras. And lots of people dancing with no inhibitions. All of this, of course, totally new to me, and I liked it. I also liked my mom's vegetable garden, and my granddad was also a big gardener. My senior year, two friends and I took our college day on Earth Day to visit nearby North Texas State University. They had an impressive Earth Day event with speakers and music in what they called People's Park. We thought it was all pretty cool. One day during that last year at high school, my tennis coach told me I had to cut my hair, which was barely touching the top of my ears. I asked him why. He was kind of apologetic and said, well, it's school policy. I went to the principal for his comments. He said it was between me and the coach. He claimed no part in the issue. I returned to the coach and induced a confession. The principal had told him to tell me to cut my hair. Again, I returned to the principal and we had it out. He continued to deny any participation in this incident. Here was the principal, a figure, a role model of standards, rules, citizenship, and authority, and in my opinion, totally untrustworthy. I quit the tennis team. In the fall of 1970, I started college at North Texas State. Early on, I connected with fellows into bike riding. 
My studies were geography, sociology, and political science. My first year at school, there was a freedom of speech controversy that led to demonstrations and even riot police on campus. I was only a bystander, but it was exciting to see the confrontations. And I also connected with the free university. Anybody could host a class or activity. One of the most important experiences during those college years was after two years living in the dorm, I shared a house with two older guys. They were part of our bike riding group. Both were vegetarian and eco-minded. One introduced me to organic gardening, the other many new ideas about life. I had several unpleasant summer jobs during those years. One was in a peanut factory where the red fungicide that was applied to the seed peanuts had a warning, use only U.S. Bureau of Mines approved respirator. We were given only cheap throwaway paper face masks. The dust was everywhere, even in your snot. My sneakers became tinged with red. After two weeks, I quit. Another job was mowing at a large apartment complex. I had to drive 40 minutes to a minimum wage job. I quit after a month. Another summer job, my first summer away from home, was at a mobile home fabrication factory. I could only describe my supervisor as racist and a redneck. After a few days sweeping the expanse of floors, I was taken to the cabinet shop. With no instruction or training and lots of power tools, I was told to get with it. He left. Meanwhile, out on the floor, word was one crew skipped an entire wall of insulating a mobile home just to see if anyone noticed. I couldn't keep up with the cabinet making and was fired a week later. I was also an undergrad assistant in the geography department. My favorite task was organizing all the big wall-sized maps. That I enjoyed. I also worked in the dish-cleaning area of our dorm cafeteria. I was often at the window where all the awful, uneaten industrial food was hurled on trays in our direction. My job resume up to this point in life left me with one conclusion. I did not want any kind of conventional employment. I graduated from college with a degree in geography and stayed another two years in Denton. I had my own lawn care business, did some landscaping and window washing. One client was a former all-pro defensive end for the Kansas City Chiefs. I was part of a counterculture clique. One guy had built a portable geodesic dome and took a trip to Arkansas looking for a place to set it up. He came back to Denton and asked me if I wanted to help him set up the dome at a back-to-the-land counterculture alternative community in the Ozarks. I said okay, and we took the dome to the Ozarks. I ended up living there for two years myself. The place was over 500 acres and totally beautiful with hardwood forests, cliffs up above, water in the creeks and springs you could drink. 
There was no guru, and there was a very strong feminist overlay, and weekly meetings to discuss interpersonal relations. The classic 60s self-help paperback book, I'm Okay, You're Okay, was a very important part of life at Sassafras. The book advocated a method for people to become more conscious of their emotions and how they related with others. There's a child, the parent, and the adult. This was transactional analysis. After two years, the place came to an end at the hands of a group of women who acted as if to say, We're okay, but all you men are not okay. My most important takeaway from those two years was people can make a conscious choice to become a better person in their own life. I returned to Denton and self-employment like before and became involved with a new movement to stop construction of a nuclear power plant southwest of Fort Worth. We had meetings, demos, fundraisers, and public events. All the demos were nonviolent, usually involved trespassing and the law-breaking, mostly without serious consequences. One of the most impactful occasions for me was a public relations presentation by the builders of the power plant where they repeatedly misrepresented the theoretical safety of the reactor in case of a meltdown. I asked for clarification to their false statements three times, already knowing the correct answer. Their PR man waffled three times after each time I asked, and finally had to say, no, the system had not been tested as he claimed, no apology. His corporate dishonesty left an impression that has been reinforced many times since. Increasingly critical of the mainstream, I made two trips to New Zealand, partly to explore and sightsee, but also as maybe a place to move to. I took part in several demos and followed the news over the year I was there and found New Zealand's political, big business, environmental, and economic problems just like in the United States. My return to Texas was temporary, to earn money for another trip out of the country, this time to Europe with plans for Africa as well. A one-year trip turned into almost four years. Total fun, lots of highlights. I participated in a demo at a U.S. airbase in England, then the Stonehenge Festival, on to much of the summer in Amsterdam squatting with a New Zealand friend, met a bunch of Yugoslavian hippies, headed south to Austria, Italy, France, back to Italy and to Yugoslavia, again to Italy where a college pal was teaching at an international school near Rome. Time for Africa. I flew to Kenya. I loved Masai Mara. Went to Uganda just after Idi Amin. Traveled with a couple from Australia for a few weeks to Murchison Falls. We split up and I went to the Ruanzori Mountains and then south through Rwanda and Burundi to Lake Tanganyika to Zambia and Zimbabwe.
Thanks to a chance encounter in Johannesburg, I was set up with a group of people living in a shared house near Durban on the beach. I had a close-up view of apartheid, an even closer look, spending the night in a South African jail, busted for Dhaka. After about nine months in South Africa, it was time to go. I returned to Kenya overland by way of Dar es Salaam, and then to Rome and another 15 months in Europe, a summer in West Berlin and a road trip with German friends to Portugal, then behind the Iron Curtain to Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, and Romania, down the coast to Dubrovnik, and then orange-picking in Greece. As a planned community, the kibbutz is a remarkable entity. Returning to Europe, I stayed with a group of radical, simple-living Catholics in the boot heel of Italy, and a few weeks later painted my first wall mural in Sicily, making use of my newfound talent for art discovered at the shared house in South Africa. I partied with Italian friends to American rock and roll in Perugia, spent a summer biking in Corsica. I was actually paid for artwork. That fall, I went to the Canary Islands for surfing and finally decided I'd had enough of travel. The conclusion after nearly four years away, it was a privilege to see so much amazing nature. I learned that by far, just about everyone is curious and helpful. At home again, I found telephone answering machines had become ubiquitous. My mom had moved to a retirement place near my middle brother. After some time in Denison, I moved to Galveston to be close to salt water. I started mural painting for a living and had one job that kept me busy at the Railroad Museum in Galveston for five hot and humid months. We had a great Earth Day in Galveston, and after two years, I moved to Houston. My housemate in Houston connected me with permaculture, and also, through my housemate, I became a hanger-on at Pacifica radio station KPFT. Friends and I participated in the awesome art car parade on bicycles. A big change in 1991, I moved to Eugene. I hitched up my 1991 Ford Ranger. I brought with me all the essentials, surfboard, kayak, and mural painting equipment, and began my own Oregon Trail. I had no previous connection with Eugene, but was attracted by its green reputation. After a couple of short-term rentals, I found a shared cooperative house that was home for about four years. We bought food together and took turns cooking. There was a community garden down the street along the bike path in the Greenway by the river. I became active with a group called Earthsave. It was a vegetarian activist group inspired by John Robbins and his influential book, Diet for a New America. We had a productive group for five or six years, 
showing the video Diet for a New America. We became known for our turkey-free Thanksgiving dinners and promoting a vegetarian diet. I had been vegetarian since this shared house in Denton. Learning more about the issues surrounding the production of meat and animal products has had a powerful impact on my own opinions of our culture, public health, and economic system. The reasons for going veggie, if not vegan, are compelling. One is the inhumane treatment of animals and confined feeding operations. Much of the Amazon has been cleared to graze cows and raise soybeans. For some people, simply raising animals to kill them is immoral. There's enormous chemical pollution caused by animal agriculture, and there's no mystery to understand the term cows kill salmon. Typical levels of meat in the American diet are known to increase risk of a wide range of diseases. Animal products, junk food, and many other unhealthy choices, both food and otherwise, cost society many hundreds of billions of dollars each year and are largely avoidable. We could use those hundreds of billions of dollars for paradigm shift instead. Warner Creek was another activist involvement and now legendary for its forest activism dating back to the mid-1990s. A logging access road was occupied for half a year. There were many heroes for stopping the salvage logging on a late succession forest and owl habitat that fell victim to arson. A photo of the blockade even made its way into the National Geographic. During these same years, I added to my experience of I'm okay, you're okay. It was a weekend retreat that pushed everyone well beyond the comfort zone. Lots of staring at each other, brutal honesty in front of an audience, and being in the moment. That said, the weekend was well worthwhile. Successful paradigm shift calls on us to greatly improve our interpersonal communication skills and self-awareness. Yet another engagement was with a group opposed to a large computer chip factory planned for the West Eugene wetlands. CPA, or Citizens for Public Accountability, was a rocking organization. The factory was built and 10 years later abandoned, and 15 years after that, it's still empty. That involvement with CPA was enormously educational, and my introduction to a new interest in urban land use, economics, and public process. Over the years in Eugene, I've become more consciously anti-car, taking part in numerous anti-car bike rides like Critical Mass. A friend had been a freeway fighter on the East Coast, and I became more interested in the issue through him and became involved with yet another group that stopped a sizable highway project in Eugene. I read a book titled Crabgrass Frontier. It's a history of suburbia, and it made a strong impression, describing how suburbia and cars 
have become critical parts of our economy and lifestyles thanks to the deep influence business interests have had on government housing and transportation policy. Suburbia and cars are essentially make-work projects, inflicting enormous damage on people and planet, much of it avoidable. Other books, thinkers, and sources I hold in high regard include Barry Commoner, Naomi Klein, Richard Heinberg, Your Money or Your Life, Small is Beautiful, World Watch, Jefferson Airplane and Bob Dylan, The Occupy Movement, and some friends and neighbors. Finally, when I bought my house in 2000 and moved into the River Road neighborhood, I was drafted onto the board of our neighborhood's community organization. Many cities have neighborhood programs, and typically a neighborhood organization meets monthly, has a board, and exists to make the neighborhood a better place to live. My involvement with my neighborhood association has provided me with a great appreciation for the idea of civic culture and community engagement. Those who participate help set the agenda. So, there we have it, a very short political autobiography. There's something satisfying and something to value connecting with our own history and worldview. I strongly suggest anyone to take some time, review your own past to gain a greater understanding and appreciation for your own present. Okay, that's good. After a short break with Mark, let's return with the focus on permaculture. We'll take a look at my own suburban permaculture transformation project. Also, a short review, permaculture in River Road, my neighborhood, and Eugene. And then recognize a number of other locations here and there all over the country as pioneers of a preferred future. We'll break in here on our guest host, Jan Spencer, of Creating a Preferred Future for just a moment to remind you that this is Spirit in Action, and our website is northernspiritradio.org, filled with all kinds of good things, like an opportunity for you to post comments on our shows, including on our guest hosts. Give us your feedback Help us provide you with content that really meets your needs. All of our shows since 2005 and links to the guests are on our site. So go wild and drink deep. You can also donate to support Northern Spirit Radio via our site and also via our Facebook page. Your input and your support make listener-centric content possible and sustainable. Please also support the community radio stations, making democratic media powerful in your town. They're an essential part of what we need, and some 35 to 45 of them currently carry our programs, so help them out. Let's hurry back now to guest host Jan Spencer of Creating a Preferred Future. Thanks, Mark. This is Jan Spencer coming to you from Eugene, Oregon. This second part of Spirit in Action, we'll hear about permaculture in Eugene, permaculture in my neighborhood, 
and transforming my quarter-acre suburban property. We'll also recognize a number of projects all across the country pointing the way towards a preferred future. And finally, an overview, a primer for paradigm shift. Okay, we're going to pick up part of our story from part one when I moved to Eugene and became acquainted with permaculture here in Eugene. Not long after arriving to Eugene, I connected with folks into permaculture. There was a permaculture guild that met monthly and had socials at the homes of permaculture enthusiasts. One local woman taught permaculture design courses and did permaculture consulting and landscape design, and there were the beginnings of other permaculture projects in town. When I arrived in Eugene, East Blair Housing Co-op was already 20 years old. The co-op owns seven properties, most of them next to each other, in the funky 1940s-era Whitaker neighborhood. Importantly, the co-op can manage its properties in a coordinated way. East Blair is one of the best examples of what block planning can look like I know of anywhere. Another place that was just in the early going when I moved to Eugene is the Center for Appropriate Transportation, or CAT. CAT encourages bikes and bike culture and featured an impressive bike fabrication capacity, a you-fix-it bike repair shop, used parts, used bikes, a computer lab to teach young people design skills for building human-powered machinery. In 2000, I bought a house. The property was a quarter acre, and the house, mid-fifties, simple, two bedrooms, wood-sided. The house was longest east and west, and the rectangular property longest north and south, with the backyard on the south side of the house. It had good solar access, and I could afford it. Okay, time out. What is permaculture? Here's a brief explanation. Permaculture is an approach to designing systems for taking care of human needs in ways that work with nature and are healthy for humans. Principles include observe and interact, catch and store energy, apply self-regulation and accept feedback, use renewable resources, produce no waste, integrate, not segregate, use small and slow solutions, value diversity, and value the use of edges, and respond creatively to change. Permaculture can be applied to almost any design project, from transforming a suburban property to social, economic, and historic analysis. For example, consider the year 2023, this point in history, its positive technology, the damaging technology, social progress, social problems, climate change, extreme disequity in many ways, lost human potential, positive human potential. 
Then consider paradigm shift with its many uplifted and positive ideals and values. The permaculture historical edge is where we take the good from a failing society and its consumer culture and graft it onto the ideals, values, and know-how of paradigm shift. My place is a very good example of the historical edge in suburbia. I've used a lot of materials and tools bought from the nearby home improvement store and grafted those on to my vision of what a preferred future can look like here in suburbia. Returning to my place, several of the goals at this quarter-acre, flat, fertile, and solar-friendly suburban property is to produce more basic needs on-site, food, water, energy, creative expression, also to reduce my eco-footprint and to show what suburban permaculture can look like. This has been one of the most enjoyable and educational experiences of my life. Fortunately, the city of Eugene has been mostly hands-off. My first task in the fall of 2000 was to sheet mulch the front and backyards to kill the grass. Another early task was to turn the one-car garage into a living space, making this a three-bedroom house, which was a big boost to rental income. Also early on, I installed two 1,600-gallon agricultural water tanks for rainwater catchment. I had a large overgrown apple tree cut down that was located in the southeast corner of the property that made way for new apple, peach, and pear trees. Having housemates was part of the plan from the beginning. More people living here helps reduce everyone's eco-footprint, plus increasing residential density helps reduce pressure to build more suburbia on nearby high-quality farmland. In more recent years, I started offering a break on rent for people who did not have a car by choice. Another early project. A friend and I rented a cement saw and we cut up my five-car driveway. The project was hot, dusty, and the cement cutting machine is very loud. I kept about half the rectangular concrete pieces and my friend took the other half. Cars are now parked out along the street in front of the house, and the former driveway area now has a storage shed, an English walnut tree you can climb in, and a large grape arbor. I also have boysenberries and domestic blackberries growing along the north boundary of the property. My place is hard to miss. After living here for seven years, I built a 400-square-foot accessory dwelling behind the main house. It has passive solar design and serves as my own living space, as office, workshop, and bedroom. I still use the kitchen and bathroom in the main house, and now I can rent the former garage space. Another project, a friend and I rebuilt the sunroom. It's a wonderful, closed-in, former Southside patio, now passive solar that never freezes. It's home for several dozen potted plants over the winter. 
on sunny days in the cool season, a fan moves the warmer air into the rest of the house. Years ago, my next-door neighbor and I took out the laurel hedge that was right on the property line. We had to work together to take it out. That area is now a trellised edible green tunnel in the summertime and shades the west side of the house from the hot summer afternoon sun with mulberry, almond, and grapevines. These projects have connected me to the seasons. I've learned about solar input. My sunroom readily shows the comparative seasonal strength of the sun. I have to put shade cloth over the roof glass in the warmer part of the year. Seven years ago, I added a 3,000-gallon water tank to my rainwater system for a total of 6,500 gallons. With clear plastic tubes on each tank, I can watch the water level go up during the winter rains, and I can watch it go down in the summer when I use that water for my garden. I've also learned a great deal about how much food a modest garden can produce. Food produced is not only a result of the size of the garden, it's also how well-managed and productive that garden is. My place could produce even more, but even as it is, I rarely buy fruit and veggies at the store any time of the year. I eat a lot of fresh fruit and veggies during the growing season, and I have stored fruit and veggies for most of my needs when it's not growing season. My edible landscape is also staggered. Starting in May with mulberries, I have some kind of fruit available fresh practically into December, and lemons go into February. Of course, I do buy beans, grains, tempeh, soy milk, peanut butter, olive oil, and a lot of other items from the store. Much of what I grow goes into the grid-supported freezer. I store a lot of food in other ways, too, like drying, cool storage, and in-the-ground live. I don't do canning. Many kinds of fruit and veggies store well with only modest care. Eugene is in a seismic zone. If there was a great disruption to utilities and transportation, all bets are off but producing and storing a significant amount of food at home could keep one alive for months. Survival prospects can improve more when people work together for a more robust and resilient food system. Local food production is a critical part of paradigm shift. I've done most of the work on transforming this property myself. It's a good example of prioritizing my own time and money. Instead of vanity remodels, I have a 6,500-gallon rainwater system, edible landscaping, an ADU, solar hot water, heat pump, and a whole lot more. My modest spending is strategic. A lot of that strategic spending has gone to the home improvement store for tools and various projects. My galvalume metal roof panels were purchased I do the insulation. I have a very small solar electric system and battery. Transforming a suburban property has a lot of moving parts, I know, and can create many thousands of jobs in design, manufacturing, finance, retail, and wholesale. 
the mainstream economy has a great deal to offer for helping bring about paradigm shift. A significant part of the mainstream economy would fit in a preferred future. My place has become an educational resource to the community. Literally, thousands of people have visited over the years by way of dozens of site tours. The place has appeared in audio and video media. I've produced educational posters about my place and Paradigm Shift and given away literally thousands of copies. They're now on all continents other than Antarctica. I love to show and tell my property and my experiences. Many people have told me they've made changes in their own properties and lifestyles after seeing my place and posters, reading about it, or seen on YouTube videos. Okay, maybe that's enough boasting, but I really think it's important to share good news and good works. Don't be shy. At this point, let's weave together some permaculture manifesting in Eugene, my place, my neighborhood, and touch on permaculture actions in the Pacific Northwest. By good luck, a year after I bought my house, another property nearby, Dharmalaya, began its own adventure becoming an important permaculture and educational site. We've collaborated a great deal over the years. Recall from part one, when I first moved into the neighborhood, I was drafted onto the board of our city-affiliated neighborhood association. Becoming involved with ARCO, that's the River Road Community Organization, has led to a whole new realm of awareness of urban and suburban issues, land use, development, transportation, housing, public health, public process, and more. I included many of these areas of community interest and concern in a huge permaculture mural on an 80-foot-long wall of a building with high visibility from the main road that runs through our neighborhood. It became a landmark for many, and then a couple years ago, painted over. After a couple of years working on my property, I began hosting site tours and workshops and began many collaborations with Dharmalaya. By 2003 or four, other properties in River Road and Eugene were also becoming permaculture sites. By 2004, we began hosting the yearly permaculture events several times at Dharmalaya and also a couple times at the eco-village mentioned and then a couple times at a friend's farm out in the country. These events were a big boost to permaculture in Eugene. We had site tours, workshops, culture, music, a lot of fun. About 2010, I connected with activists in other Eugene neighborhoods, also into permaculture and ecological living. We formed the Committee on Sustainability, with members representing nearly half of Eugene's 25 neighborhood associations. 
This group was very active for five or six years, hosting dozens of site tours in all those participating neighborhoods. We put on a yearly Green Neighbors Fair for several years with exhibits, workshops, plenary sessions, and commercial sponsors. Being involved with the city's neighborhood program added a great deal to our reputation, plus we had some perks from the city. After about five or six years, both the Committee on Sustainability and our local permaculture convergences lost energy and came to an end, but not before we accomplished a great deal. The model of an eco-activism group with members from different neighborhoods is a very good one. Faith organizations in a community could replicate this model. By 2012, another larger permaculture group came together in the Pacific Northwest that organized larger yearly events that alternated between Oregon and Washington State. I became involved with this group and took the leap to host the 2015 Northwest Permaculture Convergence right here in our River Road neighborhood. It was a remarkably successful event. Our neighborhood recreation center became a permaculture university for that weekend with workshops, exhibits, bookstore, plenary sessions, site tours in River Road, other places in Eugene, and even some places out in the country. We organized camping and backyards for people from out of town. We self-catered. We estimate 700 people participated. On one site tour, there were 70 people in my backyard. This remains the only suburban permaculture convergence I've ever heard of. There's no better location. Since then, we continue to have site tours, and there are more places to visit than ever all around Eugene. East Blair remains a go-to place. Maitreya Eco Village, Duma, and Walnut Street Co-op are all great examples of residential places reducing eco-footprints and building social cohesion. Common Ground Garden took a soggy, unused suburban street right-of-way and turned it into a neighborhood cooperative garden that brings hundreds of people together in friendly neighborhood. The cooperative garden has catalyzed many front yard gardens nearby. In nearby Portland, City Repair continues its excellent work at placemaking and community building. Columbia and Kailash Eco Villages inspire, showing how existing urban infrastructure can be repurposed to become examples of what a preferred future can look like. Our 42nd Avenue is a small local economic development corporation that is helping to make Cully neighborhood become more green and cohesive. Meanwhile, the Congress of New Urbanism and its members are engaged with many projects, both educational and developments, that are allies for reimagining and reworking our urban landscapes in positive and timely ways. I know of other great stories in the Bay Area, L.A., Port Townsend, Seattle, Cincinnati, Houston, Syracuse, 
Asheville, North Carolina, Missoula, Montana, and other places that are all pointing the way towards a preferred future. And I see more permaculture in my own neighborhood every year. In the summer of 2022, I made a three-month trip to Europe to explore and document cities and towns and their public places. Highlights were visiting so many beautiful urban locations that were car-free or car-limited. I had a bike with me the entire three months. Groningen, Houghton, Utrecht, Paris, Barcelona, Nice, Trento, Menaggio, Alguero, Sassari, almost every city or town I visited in Europe had a piazza, a plaza, promenade, a centro storico, a lungo mare, or lungo lago. And many cities are actively replacing car space with people space, places to walk, bike, sit, and meet neighbors. In Barcelona, I kicked a soccer ball with kids in a tranquil, tree-shaded park with many people enjoying the public space. There were shops, outdoor cafes, and apartments all around. Five years before, the park was a congested, noisy, polluted intersection. The site was purposefully transformed from cars to people. Imagine your familiar multi-acre strip mall parking lot becoming an attractive public place with shops, apartments, places to sit and enjoy and meet your friends. Transforming thousands of parking lots could be a goal of paradigm shift. I love Barcelona, but let's return to Spirit Radio. It's a great self-adventure to write your own autobiography. Is your life where it should be, based on your values and principles? If not, what can you do to be true to yourself? If you are all good with your inner gyroscope, thanks for doing your part for Paradigm Shift. Let's forward my story up to the present. We're having tours to see some permaculture sites in the neighborhood. Our neighborhood association has a work party planned in the Greenway, and we hope to have more groups and people adopt sections of the Greenway to help restore native habitat and build human community. We also have plans to organize a promenade on the bikeway along the river that existing car-free space can be used to create our version of those wonderful public places in Europe. Consider organizing a promenade where you live. Just say, let's all meet in a public place, make a party, and enjoy each other's company. Given the social, economic, political, environmental, and spiritual conditions of our society, along with the news and trends we read about every day. How can we not conclude we are overdue to make up for lost time to help bring about a preferred future? The Primer is here to help. It contains practical information to use for moving towards a preferred future. Check out external costs, social engineering, 
and a deep critique of capitalism. The primer is positive and uplifting. Learn how to help pay for the changes with the double benefit. Learn about inspiring real-life examples of people and projects already creating paradigm shift. It's not just some idealized distant future. Have a look at East Blair Housing Co-op, Kyle Ash Eco Village, Suburban Permaculture, and our 42nd Avenue Economic Development. You can find links to the primer on my website, suburbanpermaculture.org, along with links to the presentation about public places in Europe, info about transforming your suburban property, how to contact me, and podcasts from my radio show. This is Jan Spencer in Eugene, Oregon. I fully believe we can enjoy the healthy aspects of modern life, reduce our eco-footprints, downsize the cultural baggage, and uplift the spirit all at the same time. We can prioritize our own time and money and self-deliver a big chunk of paradigm shift to our own lives sooner than later. Future guest hosting on Spirit Radio will dive deeper into all these ideals and actions. And finally, thanks Mark for inviting me to Spirit in Action. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to next time. You're welcome, Jan. I hope you listeners have been enriched by Jan Spencer's time at the helm today for Spirit in Action. We'll have him back in about three months, so you can look forward to that. The links to Jan's website, suburbanpermaculture.org, his media, including videos, all kinds of stuff, are on northernspiritradio.org. I'll be back with you next week with more World Healing Workers for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Oh